Welcome to The Center, a podcast brought to you by the Franciscan Peace Center of the Sisters of St. Francis in Clinton, Iowa. I'm your host, Marcia Thrall, and joining us today for our very first episode are Sister Jan Sabula, President of the Sisters of St. Francis, Clinton, Iowa, Sister Laverne Olberding, Director of the Franciscan Peace Connection in La Mesa, California, and Sister Maria Zyman, an early participant in the Nevada Desert Experience Retreats and a founding contributor of the concept that became the Franciscan Peace Center. Welcome, friends. Before we get started, I'd like to give you a little background on the evolution that has created space for our podcast that we're starting today. The first recordings will focus on the experiences and motivations that planted the seeds of an idea that started as the center, in quotation marks. A metaphorical place that sprouted from Jan Laverne and Maria's experiences following their participation in the Desert Experience Faith and Resistance Retreats held in Nevada in the late 80s and the early 90s. As the sisters' experiences with active nonviolence and peacemaking expanded, so did the concept of the center. From a metaphorical place to what is known today as the Franciscan Peace Center, a space where a staff of three laypersons, including myself, work to spread the good news of peacemaking and active nonviolence within local and national spaces. Our new podcast endeavor digs back down to the roots of the center, a space that virtually expands beyond our imaginations as a place where the larger community can learn, contemplate, and explore how active nonviolence and peacemaking are the seeds that can grow into a more equitable and just society. With all of that said, again, welcome, friends. I am so happy that we're able to be together for this conversation today. So welcome, Jan and Laverne and Maria. I am so happy that you are here. So we have some questions so that we can get some understanding about what the genesis of the center was. The first question is, what is active nonviolence? If you were to give a one-minute elevator speech to a person you've just encountered for the first time, how would you describe active nonviolence? Maria, I was hoping you could start us off. Well, first and foremost, I think uh, active nonviolence is a way of life. It's not just a practice, not just a way of protesting, but a way of life. And it's based on the belief that we're all brothers and sisters, not just all us human beings, brothers and sisters, but as St. Francis told us way back in the 12th century, all of creation has that relationship. So brother sun, sister moon, sister water, brother wind, we're all connected as brothers and sisters. All of creation is sacred. Another basic belief of active nonviolence is that love is the most 
powerful force in the universe. Love is more powerful than hate. It's more powerful than fear. And the reason it's so powerful is that it changes our heart. And if our hearts are changed, then our lives will change following our heart. And I think one of the principles of active nonviolence that really helps me live this daily is where do I focus my energy? And uh, what the principle of active nonviolence is that we focus our energy on issues and on changing systems, not complaining, criticizing, judging people, not trying to change people. Active nonviolence doesn't try to change people. It tries to change systems. So that's my elevator <laughs> description of <laughs> what I think active nonviolence is for me. Thank you for that. That was a really wonderful ride. Um, Jan, did you give us what your elevator speech was? Sure. As a matter of fact, the first thing I had down was active nonviolence is a way of life. <laughs> it's a life orientation. So I resonate a lot with what Maria said. Um, and I had also that it's a way of living out our Franciscan beliefs that we're all sisters and brothers. Number two. So <laughs> then I also said, you know, it's a power. It's a power for good. Probably we could say love. Power for good without domination or any kind of violence. And it's a way of living the gospel. It's grounded, if, since I'm a Christian, it's grounded in the nonviolent Jesus and the way of the nonviolent Jesus. And it does have some dimensions of being a strategy, various kinds of strategies for social change. And I think that's the part that Maria was referring to as the focusing on systems. So we pretty much resonate, which we shouldn't <laughs> be surprised, I guess. So thank you, Maria, for your definition. Thank you, Maria. And thank you, Jan. Um, wonderful so far. Laverne, what about you? What could you share with us? Well, it's a good thing I wrote three speeches because they took the first two. <laughs> <laughs> and I expected that because we all are coming from um, the same teachers and readings and so forth. To me, active nonviolence is a way of life. It's a spiritual discipline. Um, I realized early on as we were working with this that if I didn't discipline myself, actively and nonviolently, I was not going to be a good instrument of such with others because active nonviolence requires that I be a listener who wants to know about the other person, not what I'm going to say next. Um, active nonviolence is about reaching out in love 
when in the past I would have liked to give you a piece of my mind. Um, active nonviolence is acting like Jesus did, um, encouraging people to do something better, even when he was upset with the people outside the temple. He he didn't hurt any of them, but he said, this is not acceptable and it needs to stop. And I think there are times when we have to be very courageous and stand right up to people who are violent and say, this is not acceptable and it won't continue on my watch. Amen. I think that's a very good point, Laverne. Um, it did bring to my mind the fact that there are those two hands of nonviolence. Yep. You know, the one where we are resisting the, the evil, so to speak, the violence, but we are creating a positive, being respecting that individual. But also in Gandhi's terms, there was the resistance and the, the social programs. Mm -hmm. The creating something new. And so thank you for reminding me of that. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And I, I'm glad you remind us of the listening. Because the other, um, another principle of active nonviolence is that everyone has part of the truth. And so if we're not listening, we're not hearing the other person's truth. So thank you for remind us, reminding us about listening. Well, I think at this point in time, especially with the, the world in, in America, in the state it's in, if we don't start listening deeper than until you take a breath and I jump in, um, we are not going to make things better. We just cause more divide. And so I need to take time with a few of you at the table, everyone has time to talk. And I use the, our um, dialogue model, contemplative dialogue model, cannot speak when somebody else does. Um, let everybody talk and then we can share. Those type of things slow us all down enough that we really can be actively non-violent. And we get somewhere. Isn't that something? <laughs> so I have been listening as the three of you have spoken and realized that um, I'm a work in progress, right? And I'm grateful to the three of you for the work that you do um, and for the space to be able to do it in. Um, I've been doing some research about how the center got its start. And the documents that outline the conceptualization of the center in quotations mentioned that one sister participated in the faith and resistance retreat that was held in 1989. Who is or was that sister? And how did her participation influence the congregation's initial discernment and contemplation to adopt an ethos of active nonviolence? Well, this is Jan, and it was I. 
1989, I was living at the Catholic Worker House in Kansas City, Missouri. And so we were pretty active in a lot of social justice type things. And in so in eight, 1989, there was a faith and resistance retreat um, sponsored there in that area, um, close to Kansas City, at Whiteman Air Force Base. And that was the beginning. They were either designing or they had just named that was going to be the home for the B-2 bomb stealth bomber. And if you just noticed in the news, like they just revealed the newest version of the stealth bomber, you know, last week. So anyway, we've been at this a long time. Um, but what I remember, in addition to workshops and so forth, was when we actually came to the the time in the Faith and Resistance Retreat, where if people wanted to trespass onto the Air Force Base, they were given the opportunity. And so what, what happened was right there at the gates, they had a big white line um, um, painted across there at the gates, and we were warned a number of times that if we were going to cross the line, that we would be trespassing on that, on the Air Force Base. And so they told us that several times. And then a bunch of us were lining up on the one side of the white line, the ones who were going to cross, and then we were getting ready to step across. But the most moving part of this whole thing to me um, actually wasn't the crossing, but there was a woman there who had attended the Faith and Resistance Retreat, and her husband was in the Air Force, but her husband was not there at Whiteman Air Force Base, but somewhere else, but she was having an extremely difficult trying to decide whether she wanted to cross the line. She was afraid she might get this um, notifications from her crossing the line. And so what she ended up doing was asking this one Air Force um, personnel, man, oh, I was a sergeant, but I don't think that's probably right for the Air Force, who his capacity was. One of them who was actually announcing, you can't you know, cross this line, she asked him if she wanted to stand on the line and hold our hands, start down the line, you know, somebody in there, and we were all holding hands, and hold with her other hand, the hand of the Air Force person. She stood right on the line and held the hands of each. And it was so extremely powerful, that message. And I just thought that that Air Force man had to have 
a lot of courage to be willing to do that in front of everybody else. And it, I thought it took more courage for him to do that than it took for us to cross the line. So I wrote up a reflection um, on the experience of the Faith and Resistance Retreat in that part. And Maria was president of the community at that time. So I sent my reflection to her. And so, Maria, you take it from there. (laughs) (laughs) I remember a little of that, a little different. I think you wrote to me and asked me if you could go on that retreat because you might be arrested. And I said to you, under one condition, that you write up a reflection on the retreat that I could send to the whole community. (laughs) Is that right? I think that's probably true. You probably, I probably did tell you, but you know, we don't later, we never asked. No, we didn't want to be conspiratorial. (laughs) We just sort of said, I'm going to do this. (laughs) Well, you were very innocent back then. You asked. (laughs) Anyway, and when I read your reflection, I, I know exactly where I was. I was standing by the desk in the office, in the president's office, and I read your reflection, and I was just so inspired by it. Um, How, I wish I had looked up the words that inspired me, but I didn't. Anyway, and I thought to myself, this is exactly what our mission should be. It was, you know, we didn't, I think, uh, I. it was about, um, you were so gentle with all the Air Force people that pretty soon there was no separation. You were like one. It was something like that because of how uh, you weren't confrontational. Anyway. And I thought this this should this act of nonviolence should be our mission. And then I started thinking about, well, I'm sure I can't just say to the community, we now have a new mission. <laughs> so then I had to start thinking about how we could get two percent of our community to really be totally committed to this, because I just read Solinsky. And Saul Alinsky, who was that great activator, activist in Chicago, he said, if you, if 2% of any group is totally committed to um, uh, anything, the, you can pull in the whole community. So 2% at that time of our community was three people. Just three people. <laughs> and um, so, you know how the spirit works. Short time after that, I received a letter that said that they were going to have um, Nevada, or that they had um, every Lent, they had a Nevada Desert Experience retreat in Las Vegas, and that people could join in, and part of it would be to go to the nuclear test site and protest. And so... I thought, 
well, I got to find three people to do that. And um, since I knew that the California sisters sometimes went to Las Vegas to the casino, I thought, well, I'll ask the California sisters to go because they can hardly say no. <laughs> and so I asked three sisters to go from California. And one of them said no because she had a conflict. It was a week, it was Holy Week of Lent. She had a conflict. And then the other two said they would go. And then when the time came, the second sister said she couldn't go. So that left Sister Joyce to go all by herself. And she went rather disgruntedly because <laughs> um, she was the only one that was going. She had to go by herself. And then she arrived late. And when she went into the room, there was no chair for her. <laughs> so, that, so she was getting more and more upset about being there. <laughs> and she tells this story. By the time um, the next morning, she was so upset with God and everybody else, she almost went home, but then she didn't. Um, but when she wrote to me afterwards, uh, after she went through the, the experience, she said it had changed her life. It had changed her whole relationship with God. So I thought, well, that's good enough. Even if three people didn't go, one went. <laughs> and it changed her life. So that started us on our way. One transformation. That's really and that started the whole process growing. Yes. It's amazing. Laverne, do you have anything to add to um, this origin story? What I remember is, as I heard it coming through conversations with other sisters and coming in the mail and invitations from Maria and Joyce's um, experience, I couldn't wait for us to get started mm -hmm. because I thought, Here's the hope. This is God um, dreaming us, midwifing us into something different. And we're Franciscan. We have no excuse. And so um, I just found it to be encouraging and um, strongly effective ever after. And thank both Jan and Maria for your part in getting this off the ground the way you did. Now, um, Maria, um, I remember Joyce telling this story. I don't know if it was that time or whether she went again, but it probably was this time since she was there by herself. But she told how also on the day, the time when they were going to quote cross the line, that she just couldn't make up her mind either. She didn't think she was going to do it. She didn't, whatever. This is what I remember of the story anyway. And there was a woman there who was also standing there trying to figure out what she was going to do. And the woman looked at her and said, if you take my arm, then I'll have enough courage to cross the line. Yes. yes. And I just, I remember that story, and I think that's kind of a good 
metaphor for how we need to be about this. And then let's see, it get we what we had more, like more people then. I know I went to the Nevada test site, I think, three times. I have tickets anyway from three times. So there was a retreat for women religious. Yes. That that came on uh, shortly afterwards. Yeah. All all the religious communities in the United States, or most of them, uh, were invited to go for the summer experience out to the Nevada desert experience. And they had it so well planned that the whole community was involved in it. So you could choose as many people as you wanted from your community to go out. But the rest of the community had prayers that they were supposed to say. And we prayed the, we prayed together and talked about it together before we sent seven people at that time. And so we prayed um, together about it before we sent the seven people. Then when the seven people were out there, the rest of the community was praying for them. And I, I was one of them in, who was out there and we were calling back um, to let them know what was what we were doing. Were you there, Jan? Yes, I went from Kansas City with the Catholic River folks and some people oh, you from went Kansas with City. Oh. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other time that I remember was in 1992. Um, let's see. It was the, I'm pretty sure it was the five, yeah, it was 1992. So it was the 500th anniversary of of um, Columbus discovering America, in quotes, discovering America. And so that was different, very different, because there were lots of, it was quite a wide variety of people. And they, lots of them were camping out out there, and it was just really different. And um, the Shoshone, I was going to call them Shoshone Indians, but Shoshone um, tribe, that's whose land the Nevada test site sits on. So um, they had a special sunrise prayer service in it was just a different experience that time, but yes. Well, our whole council went. Remember? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yep, the whole council, all five of us went, um, and I think it was sponsored by the Native Americans, and they had it right out in the desert. No, they said to us, "We don't have any air conditioning buildings to have it in. We we just have it right out here." So we were all sitting in the sand under the sun. <laughs> and uh they just had stands around where we could go to get food and then they had remember they had one tent it was called the meeting tent so you could sign up to have a meeting in this tent and uh you wouldn't have to sit in the sun and we signed up for it remember um our three mentors <laughs> from the De- Nevada Desert Experience were there. Uh, Father Louis Vitali uh, Vitali and Rosemary Lynch and Alan. And so we signed up for this uh, to have a meeting with those three 
so the council could talk about our desire because the chapter had had uh, passed by that time from 89 to 92 the chapter had already passed that we would uh, try, we would study active nonviolence right. and get to know more about it and um, so this was part of our study we went out there and we we signed up to meet with them but the beautiful part of that was you remember uh, we, we scheduled the meeting at one o'clock. And we all went in and we just had sat down on the floor. We had no chairs and taking a quiet moment. And all of a sudden, this big wind came up out of nowhere and it just blew. And we all just sat there looking, wondering if the tent was going to blow right over. <laughs> it's amazing that you had that moment of ruah or in Hebrew, the breath of God that kind of like shook yeah. things up a little bit. Right. <laughs> and and pushed you into like a new bigger direction. Right. You had been in this space of contemplation and thinking and talking. Right. And, and now all of a sudden your contemplation was going to go a step deeper. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so when this journey began for you as a center, in quotes, mm -hmm. did you foresee the center evolving and materializing into a physical space or a physical center? And I think I'll let Laverne take this one. Laverne, what are your thoughts? I had been a part of our community long enough to know that we were on a path that was directed, led orchestrated by God, and who knew where it was going to go? I know that personally, I remember it when I liked the fact that the word center was chosen because I needed to center myself. And I kept saying, this will always be my first call. I need to center before I open my mouth. And um, then as I talked with others about it and so forth. I was in Kentucky at the time in a, a house with young adults. And so there was lots of opportunity to talk with them about these kind of things and see what they thought. And in campus ministry, we had already become the center for different things on campus. And so it just made sense to me that that's where this was going to go, that we would have Within ourselves, our own centers, within the community, there would be a center of active nonviolence and there would be a place because the place speaks to the outside. Yes, we're serious about this. So none of it was a surprise. It just was, okay, step by step. Here we go. And I like where we've gone. Mm -hmm. So, I really like where you've gone. Um, <laughs> Jan, I was wondering if you could talk more about this. Sure. Um, so we had these major meetings every four years called chapters, and they set the direction. So we talked about the 92 chapter, and that was we we're going to study active nonviolence. And then in 96, we said, we're going to, um, um, having studied it, 
we accept active nonviolence as a way of life. And then in 2000 is when we said we would added, we would promote it in society. And that was where the idea of the center arose. And I remember people were absolutely adamant that we put it in quotation marks, center, was going to be the center for active nonviolence. And why it was in quotation marks was because we did not want to pass our responsibility off to an office or personnel at that point. We wanted to understand that we were each a center for active nonviolence, wherever we were, whatever ministry we were involved in. So I remember people were just adamant about that. And that was in short, yeah, in the chapter 2000. And then, then the implementation was after that. And we just kind of did it, coordinated it through committees and so forth for a while. Until in 2009, we hired the first layperson personnel, Laura Anderson, who's still with us in December of 2009. So it just evolved and it's continuing to evolve. Those are my recollections. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered all the, those details and the and the dates. <laughs> I do remember that we were very strong about not having an office, that we each would have a center, because this was truly our mission, and we could live this mission any place and with any ministry. We didn't have to have a school. We didn't have to have a... Uh, a hospital, we didn't need anything, um, any buildings or any set ministry. We could live it every day. It was a way of life that we were living and promoting. I also think then I didn't take it to the 2004 chapter. See, um, kind of given a little history was... Um, we were primarily a teaching order of sisters, and we had a few healthcare people and hospitals at one point. But I think we mistook our mission, our ministries for our mission. So yes. then when we, after Vatican II, we were able to do different types of things, then this was the, the blessing of this whole journey, honestly, because in 2004, then the chapter acknowledged this was our new corporate mission. And it really has helped us focus, I think, and, and given us energy. And I, I don't know, I just think that was definitely a path of the Holy Spirit that we took over a period of time. Yes. And it was at about that same time that we realized what our charism was. Yes. <laughs> that our charism uh, was an ongoing conversion of heart. I think that what helped us uh, decide that was our new prayer book, our thick prayer book. Yeah. 
Margaret Carney spelled it out for us. And we have a whole week of prayer that's conversion of heart. I think also in that, that we had that journey on the Franciscan around the same time. We were fortunate and blessed enough to have these friars from the Franciscan School of Theology came every summer, thanks to Pat, Sister Pascal, who was working out there. All right, Laverne, would you um, like to talk to us just a little bit more about um, your thoughts and feelings about the evolution of the Peace Center? Well, it was good to hear the dates that went with things, because when I hear the dates, I can associate them with where I was. And um, I don't I, I wasn't aware of how long this process took, but it's exciting to me because I think, like I said, when we have a, a trail, a path, it goes where it goes because that's where we need to go in order to figure out what we don't already know. And if we took a different path, we wouldn't necessarily learn that. Like Maria said, when um, our Franciscan brothers Short and um, Kenichi were having refreshments one night and talking about things, stuff bubbles out. And then somebody else takes it this direction, others take it that direction. And it midwifes a whole new beginning. And I believe that that's a, one way to describe what happened to us with regard to moving from our vows to how to sustain the beloved community, as um, King would say. Um, so I'm very proud of us. And it takes as long as it takes, because that's what process is. <laughs> What I really appreciated about the whole thing was it was a communal journey. Yes. It wasn't you off here and so-and-so off here. Well, we were, you know, in fact, carrying it out individually, but it was our community's journey. Yes. Very clearly. That, that was just such a blessing. But um, it was the outside um, spirit, the spirit working outside of us that we could send so many people out to the Nevada desert experience. Laverne, you went with the group, didn't you, once or twice? Yes, Marjorie Weiser and Eileen Gobi and I went together yes. sometime in the 90s. And then um, the other thing that we did is when people came back, uh, they gave witness. Or we would, at chapter or at our community meetings, we'd have people give witness. And then also Hillary made a um, uh, video. She videoed a number of people and uh, they talked about their experience. And then we had um, the three, no, maybe just two. Were all three of them there for, we had a retreat led by the, our three mentors. Maybe they weren't all, maybe Alan wasn't there, but definitely Rosemary and Louie were there. Yeah, so we had a lot of um, not only processing, but a lot of good in input, education uh, in different ways. Yeah. It was all very exciting, <laughs> I thought. It is. 
Well, thank you, friends, for um, this beginning portion of information, right? I feel like there's so much more to talk about, and I am hoping that um, we can pick up this conversation for our next episode um, and maybe talk a little bit about um, how you see things evolving into the future. Are you good with that? Would you like to do that? Fantastic. Um, thank you for joining us today for this episode of The Center. To learn more about the good work of active nonviolence and peacemaking, please visit our website at clintonfranciscans.com backslash our mission backslash Franciscan dash peace dash center. The Center is a production of the Franciscan Peace Center of the Sisters of St. Francis, Clinton, Iowa. Music for this podcast is titled Sweet Times by All Bats Off and is provided by Adobe Stock. Our podcast hosting platform is Buzzsprout, and you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you found our podcast interesting and would like to support this effort as it grows, please be sure to push that like button so that others can learn about our podcast too.